If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Uh, Genesis 41, we're going to be looking at that whole chapter this evening. Uh, We won't read the whole chapter, but we are going to be working our way through it, so please keep it uh, before you. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, for those of you who were here last week, you remember uh, Joseph's roller coaster got stuck, the the roller coaster of his life got stuck uh, in the prison uh, of the captain of the God. Uh, And so just to remind you that between uh, the last verse of chapter 40 and the first verse of chapter 41, uh, two whole years have passed. And so if you felt stuck last week uh, in life, um, just imagine what Joseph must have felt like as we come to this verse uh, two whole years later. So let's read together uh, from verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, And all its wise men, Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered and thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. 
Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe." And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams, a dream means that this thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Just so far uh, in, in God's word, let's just uh, briefly commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to this portion of Scripture this evening, again, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that your word is living and true, uh, that it speaks to us uh, because you are a God who speaks to us. And so as we come to it now, we pray that you would help me uh, to faithfully expound this text. Lord, you know each of us. You know our hearts. You know the things that we are bringing with us into the service and we pray that you would have a word in season for us as we consider this passage together. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what comes to your mind when you think of an oasis? An oasis for me is a picture of a large stretch of um, arid and sandy desert. Uh, and in the middle of that is this bright burst of green and blue as palm trees and reeds grow out of perhaps a small lake of underground spring water, crystal clear and refreshing. Well, in a sense, that is what Genesis 41 is in the storyline of Joseph. It is an incredible description of fruitfulness in the midst of the wilderness of affliction which has occupied the last 12 or 13 years of Joseph's life. Ever since we started our journey with Joseph back in Genesis 37, the, the trend of Joseph's life has been a downward one. There have been a few little local highs along the way, but overall, uh, his journey from the desert pit in the wilderness of Dothan uh, went even lower to slavery in the desert country of Egypt, uh, eventually ending up unjustly convicted and thrown into Pharaoh's prison. It's all been one long description of Joseph's life in the land of his affliction. This is made worse because of the contrast with how the story began. You will recall Joseph was the chosen son of the chosen grandson of Abraham. He was loved by Jacob. He was given this position of honor in the family. He was given these dreams by God which painted such a different picture of his future than what the next 
13 years have delivered. Yet as we've seen each week since the very beginning, we've seen the fingerprints of God's sovereign providence all over the life of Joseph. Despite all the evil that was done to Joseph by his brothers, the evil done by the slave traders, then by Potiphar's wife, then by Potiphar himself, and, and then by the cupbearer. Throughout the story, we've seen that God has been with Joseph every step of the way. We saw this particularly last week that God was using this prolonged period of, of three years in the dungeon of Potiphar to produce godly character in Joseph and to grow him in his faith in the Lord ultimately to prepare Joseph for God's purposes in his life and in the life of his people. And so as we come to this oasis of chapter 41, we, we find that in the space of one day, one day Joseph goes from pit to peak, he goes from prison to palace, he goes from prisoner to prime minister. This is the chapter I think we all know so well, don't we, when the underdog becomes the chief. And we all love to read ourselves into Bible stories, don't we? And, and this chapter is one that we love to go to, to kind of imagine what our lives will look like when, when God finally brings an end to this season of pause in the wilderness. I think if we're honest, especially in our kind of celebrity-saturated culture, what we tend to focus on in this chapter is Joseph's fame. Just look down at verse 41, uh, where it says, we love to see how, how Pharaoh says, see to Joseph, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh put his royal ring of authority uh, on Joseph's finger. He clothed him in the, the finest boutique clothing brands of Egypt. He put a gold necklace around his neck. He made him ride as 2IC in the presidential limousine as their motorcade drove through the streets, the, the paparazzi flashing their cameras and all the citizens of Egypt being called upon to bow the knee to Joseph. What a story, what a transformation. Bring on the suffering, Lord, I'm ready for the fame. Well, if that's how you've perhaps viewed the story of Joseph over the years, I'm sorry to tell you that you've entirely missed the point uh, of Joseph's life, and you've certainly missed the point uh, of this most crucial chapter, 41. Now, Genesis 41 is not a story about Joseph's fame, but it is a story of Joseph's fruitfulness. And it's only when we see and understand what God was doing in Joseph's life in terms of fruitfulness that we will be ready to rightly understand and apply this chapter to ourselves this evening. And so there are at least five aspects to Joseph's fruitfulness which I want us to just look at briefly this evening in order to assess our own lives in terms of God's purposes for us in the land of our affliction. And so in the first place, we see the fruit of waiting for God in verses 1 to 14. We already looked at this briefly last week, but verse 1 starts with, after two whole years, Pharaoh had a dream. Now can I ask you to just honestly, for yourself, don't shout out the answer, please, just inside, answer this question for yourself tonight. If you were Joseph would you still have been in prison 
after two years of being forgotten. After three years of God having pressed pause on your hopes and your dreams. Actually, after 13 years of being in the wilderness of the land of affliction. I know that some of you are very resourceful and perhaps you would have either worked your way out of prison or paid your way out of prison. I know that some of you are very impatient and perhaps you would have compromised your way out of prison. And I know that some of you are tired and despondent and perhaps you would have given up all hope in prison. But what we see is that there is always great fruitfulness to be found in waiting patiently for God. What the story of Joseph reminds us is that God is, is busy with his global program of redemption. He's busy orchestrating all the events of history past and present and future to accomplish his plans of redemption for the kingdom of God. And sometimes God presses pause in your life and in mine because we are not yet ready for what he has purposed and because his timing has not yet reached its fulfillment. God is the one who two years later gave Pharaoh his dreams. And in his sovereign purposes, God's timing required, therefore, a two-year pause for Joseph. The cupbearer did not have total amnesia of the events of two years ago. His forgetfulness was only partial until God's timing was right. And so when the fullness of time had come, God sent the dreams. God caused the cupbearer to remember uh, his forgetfulness. And the roller coaster of Joseph's life was released from being stuck. And so that's the first aspect of bearing fruit in our land of affliction, which is, is for us to learn to wait patiently for God's timing to reach its fullness. Sometimes we are so quick to rush ahead of what God is doing, of what He's doing and purposes, purposing in our lives, what He's doing and purposing in the lives of others, in the lives of the church, and so we miss the fruitfulness that He intends for us in waiting for Him. In the second place, we see in Joseph's life the fruit of witnessing about God in verses 15 to 32. We, we know all about these two dreams of, of Pharaoh uh, and none of the magicians, none of the wise men were able to explain the dreams to him. And so the cupbearer remembers Joseph and he tells Pharaoh about this young Hebrew man in prison and how he can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh summons Joseph to appear before him. And, and I don't think we really grasp the extent of the turnaround of that day. This is a young Hebrew, in other words, foreigner. He's a Hebrew slave who's been in prison for three years under the charge of trying to rape the wife of the captain of the God. And he's now standing before the most powerful man in all the world. If there was any stray hope of, of the memory of, of Joseph's dreams from 13 years ago that still lingered in his mind. This was Joseph's moment to, to take his destiny by the horns. 
and to make it all a reality. And Pharaoh even opens the door for Joseph to do this. Look at verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is Joseph's moment to shine, to, to really step up and be noticed, to get the recognition which was so long overdue. But look at how Joseph responds in verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now this was not only bold of Joseph, but very dangerous. Very dangerous. You see, the Egyptians saw Pharaoh as a god with a small g, one of the many, but particularly, in a sense, the prime god of Egypt. The Pharaohs themselves saw themselves as gods. And so for Joseph to stand in front of Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh that God with a capital G will give Pharaoh the answer. He was telling the ultimate human ruler of Egypt, by the way, you're not God. Pharaoh, however, is all too consumed by his dreams right now to get caught up in big G's and little G's. And so he, he wants to know the meaning of the dreams. And so he jumps straight in and he tells Joseph what, the dream, uh, what, what dream he had and about the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows and then uh, the, the seven uh, fat ears of wheat and the seven skinny ears of wheat and how they were eaten and everything stayed the same. Now what follows in verse 25 to 32 is Joseph's interpretation of the dreams. But what we must not miss is that four times in these verses, Joseph drives home his testimony about Yahweh. Verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, God has shown to Pharaoh. Verse 32, God has fixed this thing. Verse 32, again, God will shortly bring it about. Now again, let me ask you to be honest with yourself this evening. If you were Joseph, if you had been stuck in the wilderness of, through the lens of God's presence with him in his pain and God's faithfulness in ultimately bringing him through that suffering and into prosperity. To use an image from the prophet Joel, the Lord had fulfilled his promise to restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God gave Joseph the grace to put his past hardships and suffering into a new redemptive context. The marks of the wounds remained in his life and could never be forgotten, but those scars had been incorporated beautifully into the intricate pattern of God's grace in his life and Joseph was determined not to forget that. It is the same for us, he goes on to say. I'm almost done with this quote. You don't simply forget an experience of life-changing suffering. You can't. Those scars will mark you indelibly for the rest of your life. Yet what God does by his grace is to take those ugly wounds and to reshape them into a beautiful part of the tapestry of purpose and blessing that he is weaving in your life. He can overwhelm the painful memories of your past 
with a wonderful memory of His greater faithfulness and grace to you in the midst of all your pain and with the assurance that He will bring glorious good even out of your worst suffering. The name of Joseph's second son, Ephraim, means fruitful, and it speaks of the same lens through which Joseph saw his life as walking daily with the Lord. Notice that Ephraim does not just mean God has made me fruitful. That would have been good enough. But he specifically says God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Egypt was the land of Joseph's affliction, and he remained there for the rest of his life. God never took Joseph out of Egypt. He never restored him back to the promised land of his great-grandfather Abraham, but God made Joseph fruitful in the land of his affliction. What an amazing perspective this is for us to be reminded of this evening. Maybe you think, young people, that your current school, man, it's the land of your affliction. Maybe your dead-end job, maybe living in Johannesburg or, or in South Africa feels like the land of your affliction. And in one sense, you're right. Because the Bible tells us that life on this earth, no matter what stage of life you are in, no matter what city or province or country you live on anywhere in this planet, this world is a world of affliction. It's a world of suffering. It's a world of brokenness. It's a world of injustice and pain and potholes and load shedding. And the point of Joseph's life is not that God will remove you from your land of affliction, but that in walking with God, he will make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Again, listen to, to Ian Duguid. We typically, he says, want God to make us into fine decorative china plates which sit comfortably in a glass cabinet being admired by everyone. Instead, God makes us into serviceable water pitchers that get chipped and scratched and dented through repeated use. That is how our suffering produces endurance, character, and hope in us. It is also how he makes us useful to others around us who have their own sufferings and difficulties to endure. And so as we close tonight, I want to remind you again that as much as we can learn from Joseph especially from a wonderful chapter like this that is practical on how to bear fruit for God in the place where he has put us, in the seasons when God has pressed pause, maybe in the land of your affliction, we must remember that Joseph's life is really just a faint shadow of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one whose life 